We, the disinherited of this land, we who have been oppressed so long, are tired of going through the long night of captivity. And now we are reaching out for the daybreak of freedom and justice and equality. May I say to you, my friends, as I come to a close and just giving some idea of why we are assembled here, that we must keep, and I want to stress this in all of our doings, in all of our deliberations, here this evening and all the week and all the while, whatever we do, we must keep God in the forefront. Let us be Christian in all of our actions. But I want to tell you this evening that it is not enough for us to talk about love. Love is one of the pivotal points of the Christian faith. There is another side called justice, and justice is really love in calculation. Justice is love correcting that which revolts against love. This is Pass the Mic. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the president of The Witness, the man, the myth, the legend, the best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? I'm amped up. I'm amped up. So this is part three of our series, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking about can I get a witness we're really revolving, trying to pulling back the onion a little bit around this idea of what it means to be a witness. And we're really kind of revealing some of our philosophy at the same time, you know, some things that we may not have been able to say before on the podcast. But we, we've talked about the witness of history and the witness of preaching within the black church context. But now we need to talk about the witness of justice. Of course, before the episode started, I read this quote from Dr. King, one of my favorite Dr. King quotes at the Montgomery bus boycott organizing meeting. And as we think about justice, justice is one of those words, right, Jamar? It's one of those words that's taken our society captive, right? It is the word. That's why I'm amped up. I feel like I I, want to go out marching somewhere. I want to find an injustice and confront it. Okay, so let's pull it back a little bit here. Let's pull it back. (laughs) Everybody uses the word justice. Everybody talks about justice, so much so that it's kind of spread even across political lines or ideological lines, and even evangelicals, they'll talk about justice in some contexts, right? My, my. How is justice different in other contexts from the black church context and from the black experience in America? So one of the biggest differences I have seen and also uh, learned about through through study and reading is when you're part of the majority culture, a lot of talk about justice is individualized, if you even use that mm. term, right? Mm. So that the things that you experience that may be unjust, that may be wrong, whether in the workplace or personal interactions or whatever it might be, it's seen as problems between individuals, Right. It's seen as, uh, you know, one person not liking another person, uh, one person having bigotry or prejudice toward another person. And therefore, if that's the problem, then the solution is, well, I personally need to act differently and that's going to be the solution. Right. Mm. And so when it comes to issues of justice, what I see from other quarters, I mean, particularly from white people, Christians and non-Christians alike, is this idea that to, quote unquote, fix society's problems is really a matter of 
you know, changing a person's individual behaviors without necessarily looking at the broader structures and institutions that may create and perpetuate various kinds of injustices. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting about that is now there's also been this idea that's kind of merged with justice. And it's, you know, and I know nobody in our particular circle, nobody like, I mean, yourself would even, you know, want to use the word woke or wokeness. So, <laughs> you, you know, there's this, there's this concept, you know, I know, I know you, I mean, you you're use, wearing the t-shirt, but you, you whatever, no, no, you know, you, that's fine. I'm not wearing that. What <laughs> how about where <laughs> there is no the woke is not on my t-shirt. <laughs> what are you talking sure about? It is. Sure it is. No, it is not. <laughs> this boy gaslighting me live on past the mic. Can't stand you, but the idea here is that now people are associating justice with this idea of being woke, which has now been you know heavily diluted by the culture, heavily diluted by neoliberalism, and so now it's making sure that we're on the right side of every issue and making sure that we're on you know kind of the more progressive side of every issue. And so how does justice intersect with kind of this progressive ideology as well? I think it's a, it's a really important question because if you look at black culture, black culture hasn't necessarily been progressive in the ways that are convenient to the progressive movement, right? Yeah, this is interesting because um, my answer may not be what you expect. Go ahead. I think actually um, because... Black people have been subjected to so many injustices. We are very pragmatic in our approaches Hmm. to life, whether it's politics, the workplace, raising kids, whatever it might be, because it's about survival. So it's not a knock to say that we're pragmatic. I would also argue that most of the people we hold up historically as heroes of justice were quite progressive in certain ways. Explain that. Like, let, let's let's dive into that. Yeah, I mean, so the, the easiest example of Martin Luther King Jr., right? Sure. He talked a lot, especially toward the end of his life, about the, the evils of capitalism and materialism, and is quoted in, in different places as saying that basically we need some form of democratic socialism. Mm-hmm. And so he was about the redistribution of wealth in the country and his last major campaign before it was abruptly cut off by his assassination was the poor people's campaign where, where where they were not only going to march on DC, he wanted to create a tent city Mm -hmm. in front of the, in front of uh, the Capitol. So to, to illustrate and dramatize the issue of poverty and he was forming a a coalition of people from across the racial spectrum. He said, we're going to get our check. (laughs) I mean, and so you, you, you fast forward that to to present conversations about democratic socialism and particularly national politicians like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders who are mm-hmm. sort of standard bearers of the movement black people are like uh uh I'm not so sure about this um but when we actually peel back the layers someone like Fannie Lou Hamer mm-hmm. all about economic redistribution, all about radical politics. So uh, Ella Baker, um, you can go down the list. And my point is, if you're looking at these folks as sort of exemplars of of people fighting for justice, then understand that what they were doing in their time is radical, and it would still be radical or considered progressive today. Well, okay, so there's a difference here. And this is kind of what I've been ruminating on, this idea of radical versus progressive and is there difference in that because progressive now it's more of an ideological 
statement, right? It's a political statement. Radical is different. It's the means to which you'll go to for a particular cause, right? Yeah. So I would consider a Montgomery bus boycott radical. Mm -hmm. Is it necessarily, would it fit in progressivism or would those people who are participating in the, the radical nature fit in progressivism? And that's more of the tension as it comes with black community, especially as, as it relates to justice, is I think the black community and the black church is finding itself at a crossroads of trying to figure out where it sits within these, these broader justice movements, because everything that we're radical about may not necessarily be progressive. Yeah, right? absolutely. That's a great distinction. I think it's very valid. I would also point out that there were a lot of black people who were not for radical means or methods oh, yeah. either. Uh, the majority. <laughs> the majority. Absolutely. Because again, it's dangerous, right? Like like it, it to say that there were a lot of black people who weren't for radical means and methods of progress <laughs> right, right. Uh, is not to say they were cowardly necessarily. Um, that was sometimes the case. It's not to say that they were enamored with comfort. That was sometimes the case. But it was also very dangerous and still is to to take to sort of radical forms of protest in the pursuit of justice. All I'm saying is, especially when it comes to politics, a lot mm-hmm. of the people that we look up to as folks who pushed forward on this mm-hmm. cause of racial justice mm-hmm. would be considered, I think, in contemporary nomenclature as progressive politically. Yeah, that... Okay, so I really have two questions in this regard, right? I want us to wrestle with and think through. You know, we talked about these broad categories of what it means to be progressive or push for justice. But I want to ask this question. I want to put this question on the table for us to discuss. As we think about justice, is pursuing justice in the way that we have been pursuing it? Let's say over the movement of the past five-year movement for Black Lives, et cetera. Is that a waste of our time? Is that a waste of our time and a waste of our energy as we think about what it means to be a witness? So most people would say, if you're thinking about being a witness, you would automatically connect that to justice, especially in our particular context, right? We even hosted a conference, the Joy and Justice Conference. But is pursuing justice in the way that we have conceived of it and in the way that we have done it a waste of our time, a waste of our energy, Because again, we are trying to get people, trying to convince people who have so much power, who have so much generational wealth, Mm. and who are not going to easily be, are we wasting our time and our energy by focusing on these causes Hmm. in the way that we have been? And if if I'm going to tip my hand- Yeah, please do. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm going to tip my hand here, I kind of think the answer is yes and no. (laughs) Because I think we need a a true picture of what the end game is that we're seeking here. What what are we going for? And I think there has been contrary endpoints for mm. people. And so we get in league with people who have a different end game and end goal than what we do. Oh, okay. and I I'm think thinking you're you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and I'm thinking. How how are the terms of justice? You say, for example, a movement for Black Lives. How are the terms of Black Lives Matter or something of that nature co-opted by broader justice movements and then turned into something that doesn't fit us mm-hmm. and doesn't suit mm-hmm. our causes mm-hmm. and doesn't suit the way? And and there's room for intersectionality. There's room for us to connect and and have 
you know, solidarity with broader justice causes. But the question is, is this serving us? Yeah. You take the civil rights act, yeah. for, for example, right? It did it really serve us in the way that it could have, or in the way that it was intended to, you know? Yeah. So that's what I'm wrestling with is this idea of, are we wasting our time? Are we spinning our wheels? And are we going to commit to 20 and 30 and 40 years of justice work, whatever that may be, and run ourselves into the ground to make incremental minor progress. Ooh, you said a lot there. Um, so one point of what you said that that I'm sort of pondering is we do need to consider endpoints. And that may be the divide uh, that you were sort of alluding to between like progressives and black people who pr- who are pursuing justice is what is the end point? What is the vision of an equitable society? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be very different based on whether you're coming from a sort of Christian biblical morality perspective sure. and which tradition within Christianity and, uh, and, and somebody who may be coming from a different base. That's a very important distinction to make. Um, and there are so many other kinds of justice, right? There's environmental justice. Right, there's right. there's economic, economic yeah. justice. There's you know criminal justice. Yeah. Um, there's uh, racial justice, of course, and all of these things intersect, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a question of you know what are you pursuing primarily? That's also going to dictate issues of tactics. Yeah, whether yeah. we're wasting our time. Yeah, those kinds of things, and how justice intersects with like a regular. Because I think sometimes we we talk on the mic from a specific place that everyone's not at. Here's what I mean by that: everyone is not doing some of the things that we're doing. Like as soon as we got here, we was talking about you know causes that we're advocating for, certain things that you know meetings that we're having. Everyone's not in that position. Some people are just you know, raising kids. Some people are just, you know, going to a nine to five clocking in and out, trying to fit in how which they're going to live, which yeah. is massive. Yes. Right. But it's a different perspective. Right. And so we're talking and thinking through these things. And the question is, how does the everyday witness, how does the everyday person That's good. who's not yep. a leader of a movement or who's not on a podcast, how do they intersect with this? Yeah. And so yeah. that's my concern is, are we are we setting up this unrealistic expectation for how people interact with justice and then guilting them mm. as they interact because they're not going far enough. Mm. They're not doing more. They're, and the question is, well, what are we asking them really to do? That is the question. And what are we asking them really to organize around? And how are we asking them to disrupt their daily lives? And is it an unrealistic disruption? Right. These, these are great questions. What exactly is the witness of justice, which is what we're trying to unpack here? And, you know, what is the role of a podcast in doing that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, are we are we simply bringing awareness to these mm-hmm. things and, and hoping people will take action? Are we providing direct pathways into mm-hmm. action? What fields of justice are we talking about? Uh, I think we can only really sort of speak from our experiences sure. and our knowledge and background. So, you know, you've been to the border several times and, mm-hmm. and looking at immigration reform, like that's huge. And I think there are a lot of people who only see the headlines, and so mm-hmm. it's valuable to get a black Christian's perspective from an experiential standpoint, from an advocate standpoint of what that looks like. Um, I think maybe, I just feel like, I feel the pressure and the urgency of the times that we're in to do more than, you know, 
say to our listeners, you know, these are options. You can get involved somewhere. Um, I think in general, most of us are probably doing less than we can. Hmm. And that's to say Hmm. that it's always easier to sort of go about your life and do your routine because it's plenty of work to uh, be in relationships, to have a job or go to school. Like that, Mm -hmm. that will occupy every waking moment if you want it to. But there's also the idea of what love looks like in public, mm-hmm. right? And we're, we, we're, we're, we're not separated from that. So at the very least, it means political participation. Right, right. Like voting and ensuring that people who should be able to vote can vote, I think. That's a big one in, an, right. in a presidential election year. And even, and even that, like the differences in priorities there, right? It's just... And so the no, the no of my question, the, the no of my answer to that question as are we spinning our wheels kind of revolves around a little bit of what you just said, but also this idea that we're not islands unto ourselves. Yes. So we're not just simply talking about uh, one type of black person or one type of black Christian or one type of person's experience, but we're a mix of things that relate to the environment and education and healthcare and the border and yes. all kinds of, I mean, if you talk about immigration as a, as an idea or as something that is an issue within our society that people are hotly contesting, that affects African people too. That affects black people too. That affects Afro-Latino people too. Like, as we as we kind of dive into that, we can't separate ourselves from the broader sense of what justice is. So it's kind of this push pull yeah. of yes, I feel like some of what we're doing is set up because we're not we're not making our end goal very explicit. And then another part is like, no, we need to continue fighting though because mm-hmm. there's so much at stake for all of us in all of these spheres. Yeah, you know if we. I mean, we can talk about justice all we want, but if we don't have a, a climate, <laughs> that yeah. is, if we don't have a world that's going to be around in, in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, however long, right? you know, climate change will, will make our causes for justice move points. Yeah, there's the near-term goals and the long-term goals, exactly. and we've got to we gotta walk and chew gum at the same time, so to speak. I think for us, part of what it means to, to the witness of justice, I think part of what that means is making sure that these kinds of causes are in the Christian conversation, because there are some circles of Christianity, and this spans racial and ethnic lines, um, where these conversations about justice are seen as a distraction sure, from sure. the faith, uh, are, are seen as you know not necessarily bad or evil to, to pursue them, but not here, not now, not in this conversation. And what I think the Black Christian witness throughout U.S. history in particular has said is that, no, these issues of broader justice, these issues of what my material and physical reality are like and that of my neighbor, that is part of the Christian calling. And to separate those things is actually a distraction. Well, (laughs) that brings up a really good point. But before we get into that, we need to take a break. We need to pay some bills. So stay tuned for this break, and we'll come back to talk more about the witness of justice. This episode is brought to you in part by Baker Publishing Group. Most of us don't want to spend our lives being time wasters, space takers, binge watchers, or game players. We want to be difference makers. But maybe we make changing the world a little more complex than it really is. 
Making a difference isn't measured by a viral post or a name on a building. It isn't determined by a following or a fan base. Want to make a difference? Focus on just one person at a time. That's the secret of the way of Jesus. In his newest book, One at a Time, Kyle Eidelman invites us to better understand the surprising habits of Jesus and the power of small things done with great love. He challenges true disciples to fully commit to the unexpected Jesus way of changing the world by loving people one at a time. Baker Bookhouse is pleased to partner with Christianity Today to offer a special discount on your copy of One at a Time. Visit bakerbookhouse.com by February 28, 2022 and use promo code 12022. That's O-N-E-2022 to receive 40% off with free shipping. So, Jamar, you were just talking about justice. You brought up this point that I was really going to pull on. It's my second question. Are we wasting our time is the first one with these ideas of justice. It's a good thing for us to wrestle with. But secondly, what is justice from the black Christian perspective through the black Christian lens? And when I think about justice from a black Christian lens, I think about the overall development of what is black Christianity and how black theology, black Christianity, the black church all intersect to create this idea, this this feeling that things aren't as they are supposed to be. And we can experientially feel this, right? Because we've been on the margins, because we are a suffering people, an exile people, a marginalized people group. But at the same time, black the black Christian perspective on justice also has hope attached to it. Mm-hmm. Hope that things won't be as they are. Like, so if if you think of um, uh, Andre Reznor, right? Mm-hmm. Andre Reznor in this book, Living in Between, writes this idea of he subverts the idea of Murphy's Law, right? So he says, you know, anything that can happen will happen, right? And so he takes Murphy's Law and says that what what the the Christian hope, the eschatological Christian hope, is actually the reverse of Murphy's Law, which is anything that will happen can happen. So anything that is going to already happen, we don't wait for it. We believe it can happen now, ah, yes, <laughs> right? So he takes yes, the, the already, he takes uh, the can and will that and, will and be done flips. on earth as yes, it is in exactly. Heaven. So yeah. he makes that really concrete. And as I think about that, that's the justice push mm, mm. is that. It is, it is not, it is this tension of God will make it right. And we ain't waiting. Yes. <laughs> right? Like, wow. and there's a fierce urgency of now. That's good. And the black Christian perspective holds these things in tandem in both hands and says, that's why we fight. These, this is our, you know, one, two punch, yeah. which says, we know God will, and we know we can. And that there's a consistent push mm-hmm. of both of those. And so when we get knocked down, when they when they when it's a non-indictment, mm. we know he will. Yeah. But then when 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 there's a hashtag, we know we can. Yeah. It's just that continuous one, two. And I think that is what makes it a little bit different for us. Yeah. Because those responses are so fluid. Mm. They're so in our DNA. They're so in our blood. They're so in our soul that there is the resilience of the black Christian push mm-hmm, towards justice, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the resilience, the determination, the grit, the stuff, the essence yeah. of it, 
I feel like it's totally different than what the majority of Christian expression in America would attach to the idea of justice. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's fundamentally different when you are born into a situation where you know the odds are stacked against you. Then from the jump, you have to develop a perspective, particularly a theological perspective, that accounts for that, the unfairness of the world, right? Like, I think there are people, Christians included, who have a default position that the world is or should be fair. Sure. And then when it's not, it's disruptive to their way of thinking. Mm-hmm. It's disruptive to their prayer life. It's disruptive to their worldview. And then there are people, because they come from oppressed and marginalized communities, they understand that the default of the world is toward unfairness and injustice. And as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. they're re- they are recipients of much of that. Right. And so then you got to figure out a way, well, how can I live in this world that is not crafted for my flourishing? Hmm. And that entails a sober-minded look at the reality of things are. So you you assess things realistically. Right. This is why black women often have the best perspectives sure. on issues of mm-hmm. injustice, because they experience it from so many different angles. They have a clear-eyed view of what's gone wrong. You also have a clear-eyed view of of, of how things should be. Mm-hmm. And that's where your 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 talk about what God will do. Christian eschatology, what what heaven is like, what the promised land is like, comes in. But knowing that we're not there yet, but still believing that we can have mm-hmm. God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we push. That's justice. That's the push to make the wrong things mm-hmm. right. And and that's been ingrained in the Black experience, the Black Christian experience in particular, from the very start. Right. So that gives us the joy that we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Because how do you survive in an unjust world? You can't just be, you know, picket signs and boycotts all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes you can I mean, you can, do, you can do it. I mean, you yeah, know, you, yeah. you can do it. You, you can try. You um, can try. But, you know, you have to find a way to... Grab your own flourish. Yeah, yeah. Grab your own joy. Yeah. And that's what I think is part of this justice conversation, too. And this is why I chose the quote at the beginning. Well, the reason I chose the quote at the beginning of the podcast is not just because I, I love the way in which King describes justice and love, but also because he says before that, let's keep God at the center of all of this. That's right. That's it. Yep. <laughs> let's keep God overarching. And so, I think the great challenge for the black Christian push towards justice, the lens, is to ever keep God in the front of our minds. Yes. To keep God at the center. And as that's the case with everything, right? Right. right. That's the case with our families. That's the case with our money. That's the case with how we treat others. That's the case with our involvement. But at the same time, I think that is... What is so important, because we have to have a robust view of what God is capable of, a robust view of what God can do, not just for us, but through us. And I think that's where the motivation comes from. And so it's kind of counterintuitive, because as we think about it, people say, well, you should be organized, you should be boycotting, you should be doing this, you should be doing that, you should be marching, you should be an activist. And we say yes, but at the same time, your spirit has to be built up in a way that can handle the weight of all that. And what do we see every single time we start moving towards boycotts, marches, justice? I feel it. The weight is heavy. It starts to wear you down 
because you stare injustice dead in the face and you see it for how ugly it is and it almost crushes you. But then what keeps you? It's the spirit that keeps it. Yeah. Right. And so I think it's the the great challenge of, of black Christian experience was related to justice is to keep God in the front of our minds yeah. and to keep God so central that the belief will carry us, that his spirit guides us and moves us right. along. And I think that's why throughout history, so many of the people we admire for their stances for justice are people of faith, because you have to have a framework that is strong enough to bear the load of injustice. It, mm-hmm. It's Before Jesus returns, it's, it's never ending. Can we make progress? Yes. But not only do we stare injustice in the face, but injustice pushes back. Mm. Like, <laughs> just because you march, just because you write the letter, just because you call that politician, doesn't mean things will change. Right. There's a spiritual warfare component to this, right? <laughs> like there's, this, yeah. there's this idea that sometimes we have to understand we are fighting spiritual wickedness in high places, you know, that there are strongholds involved here. You know, I know I'm real charismatic, so y'all like, all right, you gonna douse us with oil. Be you, be you. Look, Ooh. man, I anointed all these mics before we got in here. <laughs> the your laptop, everything, man. You know, the table we're we're sitting at. But the idea though is that we cannot deny that there is an opposition to this. Yes. That the status quo, both naturally and spiritually, does not want things to change. Absolutely. So you have to have a framework that can deal with all of that. And and uh, for many people, that framework actually has to be transcendent. It has to be mm. divine because only a being like God could possibly be strong enough to hold up and support the fragile hope that we have for a better day today and tomorrow. So that's been what's distinctive. And and I think that would be, in my view, the major divide between what is considered progressivism today. Mm-hmm. So very practically here, as we think about the witness of justice, right? That means that the people who would consider themselves to be witnesses, the whole series is called Can I Get a Witness? As we As we consider that, that means that there has to be some practical interaction with this. There has to be some pragmatic steps. Mm. And there has to be something that at least are questions that are universal for us to think through and principles that are universal for us to kind of work through. So we talked a few weeks ago about this idea of, you know, meet somebody who's older than you, meet somebody who's younger than you. We talked about, you know, touching, getting in touch and taking a, a fresh look at Black preaching and the Black church. But now as it relates to justice, there's something about it that's so uh, universal and so ubiquitous in our lives that we have to take very concrete steps. Uh, can I give one practical idea that has to be considered? Yes. Where is our dollar going? Mm. Where is our dollar going? Specifically, where we choose to live, where we choose to buy, um, where we choose to interact with with people, um, the the stores we choose to patronize. And, and and I'm not saying it's like a oh just go to the black store that's just the only place you should go and that's where I, I'm I'm what I'm saying is if we're not intentionally thinking about that our our ideas of justice the way in which we perceive of justice it rings hollow someone asked me recently this idea um you know you like coffee I'm like yeah of course I love coffee and they're like what shop do you go to so I told them it's a locally owned shop and they're like yo are there any black coffee shops in the area and I remember I was like. 
Uh, nah, yes. <laughs> and I was ashamed yeah. because I was like, man, I, I should know that. Yeah. You know, someone came in and was like, man, how many, how many black doctors in the area? Hmm. How many black lawyers do y'all have? Hmm. And, you know, those were facts. I was like, okay, I know that. But at the same time, it's not like I'm letting them treat me. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> right? Okay. You see what I'm yep, saying? Like, absolutely. okay, so yeah, you black this, black that. Okay, well, what's the interaction? Mm. Or what's the awareness and what's the support mechanism? What do these people need? What, how do these people need the word to get out about them? Like, how are you using your both physical, like specific capital, but then also your relational capital as well? to make sure that you're advancing causes that are going to benefit us overall. I think that's just a, a common consideration. Anybody can do that. Anybody can sit down and say, let me really map out what this plan looks like. So we've been trying to do this in our household. We've been trying to sit down and actually map out clear pathways of where we spend money. And then how can some of that, as far as specific capital, like financial capital and relational capital be used towards the advancement of just the black people in our five mile radius like mm-hmm. just in a five mile radius right choosing to go to the black mechanic instead of <laughs> the shop which is something that i had to recently do right wow. so i had to pay yep. money to go to a bl- broke down on the side of the road and who's our first call right such and such chain right no i have to specifically say and then what do i do the black mechanic actually ends up giving me better service but it's like he's not in a brick and mortar situation. Uh, you see what I'm yeah, saying? So I'm yeah. like, those considerations are actually pushing me mm-hmm. to say, let me identify these six, seven pathways and really write this down and see if I can't spend my money there, I can tell somebody about it. I can make a referral. I can make a connection. And that that's actually justice in and of itself, uh, you know, from an economic perspective. That's good. Um I mentioned voting earlier, and I mentioned that not just because of that one day you go in and you cast your ballot, but I mentioned that because if you want to be an informed voter, it's a doorway into all kinds of issues of justice. So you can think of something as boring and fatiguing as taxes. How is the t- how are the local taxes apportioned and distributed? Mm-hmm. What are they going for? Almost every community I know has has had within the past few years some bond referendum or some initiative to raise taxes in order to mm-hmm. do something related to the cause of justice. So in my community, there was recently a a bond on the ballot to raise taxes in order to raise enough money to build a new facility. Uh, attached to the county high school. Mm-hmm. So this would benefit public school students right. who are by far and away black, uh, many affected by by poverty. And there was this huge debate and battle about whether to raise taxes in order to get, to to fund better public education facilities. That has to do with voting. Mm-hmm. But voting was not really the issue, right? Where you come down on it, of course. But in order to make an informed decision, you got to inform yourself about the justice issues in your mm-hmm. area. And so it's a reminder that all politics is local. Right. I give a lot of airtime to national politics. But really, the stuff that gets you boots on the ground involved in justice work is the stuff happening right around you. Okay, let me give you another one here. 
very important. It's 2020, okay? I'm going to root us in that. I know we try to make this evergreen, but it's 2020 because I'm going to give you this suggestion because it's very much so time specific. Yeah. Volunteer to do something as it relates to the hard to count populations for your census. Census. I knew you were going to say, let's go. I'm, I'm telling you. So we had even pay you. Yes, they will. Yeah. There's volunteer and then they'll also pay you. So we had this really long announcement about this at our church mm. last week. Mm. And so, you know, it's one of those announcements when someone got up and the person who was representing this for our church, she got up and she talked for a long time. And at first I was like, oh man, like, man, it's kind of going on for a long time. You know, black church. Like, ah, I got a long ah, sermon you know? to preach. Come on. <laughs> it was actually after the service. So I wouldn't <laughs> think about that. Don't, don't do me. Okay. <laughs> but it, anyway, she was talking and I was, I sat back and I was like, no, this is actually really important because she said, this is a service because African-Americans, black population, and we were also talking about our homeless brothers and sisters as well, our homeless neighbors, they are at risk of being undercounted, underrepresented, underrepresented, and underfunded as well. So the fact that we're going to be undercounted, underrepresented, and underfunded, that has massive implications for our lives. And so we're like, well, why don't we have enough money in the area? Why don't we have enough money in our in our specific county region? Why don't we have enough money here? Well, it's because people are being undercounted. It's because they don't go to certain places. It's because they're not interacting. And so I made it a point to say, all right, I'm going to volunteer for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to try to go to the training. I'm going to try to get involved, even if it's a couple hours. Like I can't commit, you know, as much as everybody else can or some other people could. But I'm going to I'm going to do something. Yeah, I'm going to do something to get involved because it is important for us. Here's what we do politically. We complain every four years about what's not right in our community. We complain every six, eight years about what this politician isn't doing or that politician, you know, is doing. But we sit back and at this moment when we could all go all in and say, let's get trained, let's volunteer some of our time. This is a justice issue because this is how much representation we will get. This is how much access we will get. This is how people will basically show we we exist. We're Mm -hmm. here. Mm hmm. And so I just want to throw that out there. If your church is not doing anything as it relates to the 2020 census, or you know you don't know of anything that's going on in your local community, there are places that you can go. If you just Google it for your area, yes. they are looking for people to help them. And they are also looking for uh, paid positions. Yeah. And so they will train you. They'll pay you on an hourly like basis. $17 an hour or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it know? varies by region, but I mean, I'm just saying, my community. So free. if you you yeah. in the Scambia County, you know, $17 an hour, you know, <laughs> not bad. So let me also say this one more suggestion is as you're talking, it made me think, you know, yeah, I need to do this. I saw an ad for it. I need to get involved. But I can't right now because mm-hmm. you were talking about spending money in, in our budget. We also have to think about how we budget our time. Oh, yeah. Oof. So we need to budget Yikes. our time Yikes, Jamar. in order to make room <laughs> for activism. Oh, Jamar. Jamar. So, oh, so I'm learning more and more. There are so many causes and things that I'd, I'd actually like to be involved in, particularly just in my own city and my own county, that right now I can't get involved in because I haven't budgeted time for it. Mm. And mm. so really intentionally looking at our schedules, our obligations and responsibilities and saying, you know, a lot of this stuff is good, 
But if I really want to be about justice, particularly for my neighbor, like in proximity, then I'm actually going to have to change around how I spend my time. You know, that's That's the hard part. That's convicting because we always say, you know, well, I'm doing too much. I got all this going on. Yeah, you do. (laughs) But but how much of that, like you were saying about our money, how much of that is intentional? Hmm. How much of that Hmm. is specifically geared toward promoting and advancing the well-being of marginalized and oppressed people? Near and far. So as we think about the witness of justice, just to summarize, I think the witness of justice is two things. It's deeply theological and it's urgently practical. So the witness of justice is two things. It's deeply theological and it's urgently practical. So that means that there's a theological component from a black Christian perspective, but then there's also a practical component as well, which means that we can't just preach about something we don't live. We can't just podcast about something we're not willing to get involved with, but that we also have to make sure that God is front of mind and at the center of everything. That's the witness of justice, man. That is, that is. So we're going to be right back. We hope that you guys have enjoyed part three of our series on Can I Get a Witness? And we would love to hear from you as well. Reach out to us about all your ideas, the things that you're doing locally to promote the witness of justice. But of course, we have our favorite segment right after this break. So stay tuned. Hey everybody, this is Tyler. Listen, Pass the Mic would not be here. We would not be who we are if not for the support of each one of you, our listeners. So we thank you, we appreciate you, but we also want to offer each of you the chance to help this show to keep going and growing by heading over to iTunes right now and writing us a review for this podcast. Just saying a few words of how this show is encouraging or inspiring you, it helps PTM greatly and it doesn't cost you a dime to do it. Now, that being said, if you do have the funds to support the show at any time, we encourage you to head over to patreon.com forward slash pass the mic to learn more about how your dollars can help fuel the growth of this podcast. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash pass the mic. We're back for everybody's favorite segment, Three Questions with Jamar and Tyler. I really get excited for this, Jamar. That's because you always have the advantage. You got no, a sneaky it is not, kind it is of mind. Not. No, you got a sneaky Listen, kind of mind. No, it's not like that. You guys have gotten me before. You stumped me last episode. But but I'm back. I'm back. Okay. I'm back at it. Okay. I see. Yeah. Now, all right. Here we My go. first question. Jamar, what's in the trunk of your car? I have a hatchback, so it's always open, so to speak. And I have a couple of copies of The Color of Compromise. Of course. <laughs> he be selling I, them joints out the back of the truck. In case I run at the barbershop. He be at the barbershop like, hey. I want to give them away. Give Yo, Jamar, them away. you a bootlegger. You a bootlegger, nope. <laughs> You got DVDs. You got a These copy of In Game. been lawfully purchased. You got a copy of In Game. You got the Scissor <laughs> album and The Color of Compromise. You said, what's in my trunk, not in your trunk? <laughs> um, I have an Ooh. extra jacket in case I get cold and a whole bunch of library books. And you ain't got no umbrella, so you're getting doused. No umbrella. Getting doused if it's raining. Okay, your first question. Um, What habit or practice is bringing you joy right now? Man, actually running in the morning. Wow. And listen, I hate running. Wow. I really do. You and me both. (laughs) But actually that, you know, I'm trying to get my mile down. So that's what I've been been working through. Did you go this morning? 
No, I didn't go okay. this morning. I didn't go this morning, and I feel it. That's why I'm like, but um, yeah. So that's the habit, you know. That 15 minutes in the morning, just running within my neighborhood, that's is dope, actually man. bringing that's me really joy. Good. Um, I love nature. I that. Getting to getting to meet my neighbors in a different way. So I'm trying to do it intentionally, not at the gym, mm. because that's kind of a you know, it kind of zones you in tunnel vision. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But when you start running consistently and they going out to get their mail or, you know, the trash or getting ready for work, that leaves some time good. for interaction. Yeah, so I like that. I found out I live next to an ex-DEA agent who was like <laughs> chasing wow. drug dealers for like 20 years, been shot four times. That was okay. a really interesting <laughs> conversation. Are you just having this conversation? Yeah, like I know. I'm just running place. and I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what happens when you meet your neighbors. Okay, uh-huh. anyway, number two, number two. Um, what was the first sporting event that you ever attended? Um, I'll go pro sports, and it was yeah, probably uh, a Chicago Bulls game. And this is in the Jordan era, so it was really magical. Absolutely. Hold up. You got to see Jordan live? Live. Yeah, Why have baby. we not talked about this? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I grew up in the Chicago area, so... Uh, wow. I mean, from the late 80s to the late 90s, really... It was all about Jordan. And so we got to go. I went with my dad to, we were up in the rafters. We weren't anywhere near close to it. But he was on the court and it was wow. magical just to be there. Bro, that is incredible. I did not know that you had seen Jordan live. In his heyday. Yes. Man, I've seen LeBron live and that was incredible too. I have to admit. That's cool. <laughs> wow. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Number two for you. What kind of cake did you have at your last birthday? Um, I actually, yeah, by 31st, did I have a, a cake? Yeah, there was something. I think it was pound cake, man. Okay. I think it was pound cake. I think that's that's what is a typical. A black church staple. Yeah. <laughs> There's typically like a pound cake. So this is, a, this is actually a little funny thing. My parents used to do this thing every year, even as I was an adult, that they would get my face on a cake. Like every oh, year. Wow. And so they would take whatever picture was on Facebook and they would like get a cake okay. made. Okay. And it was always so awkward. Did they do because it ironically? Or they just was like. I, I don't know. Like <laughs> it was a thing they did when, when I was younger. And so they just kept doing it. And then, you know, I, we, we're just like 27 and, you know, <laughs> you got your profile picture on Facebook on a cake. Right. You're like, ooh, this is kind of so awkward, you know though. whose cake it is. Yeah, I was like, yo, this birthday. is super awkward. Wow. Uh, me just sitting here with, you know, my back when I had a mohawk, I just had like this little oh, mohawk yeah, picture. So, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I think it was pound cake, though. I, I like a good pound cake. All right, final question for you. What's something that you've never done but you would like to try? Oh, something I've never done but would like to try. Uh, I don't think I've ever had caviar. Oh, okay. I know that's low. That's not like super adventurous, whatever. But it was the that first boy, thing that boy got a pinky that up. came <laughs> to mind. I don't think I would like it because I don't really like seafood in general. Oh. But just to say, I that tried. boy got the Steve Madden shoes on with the caviar <laughs> and the brown. I think okay, these are the I A6s. see. I see yes. you, bro. Uh, yeah. That's a good one, though. That's a good one. That was the thing, first thing that jumped in mind. But that's a good question. I have to think about it. Last one for you. What household chore or routine task do you hate to do? Oh, man. Woof. Woof. That's a tough one. I hate cleaning out the car, man. <laughs> I really do. Like, with the passion. <laughs> that's so interesting. Okay. I hate cleaning out the car. 
because we're kids, it's always oh, dirty again. Oh, gracious, yes. So I know that what I'm doing is futile. <laughs> <laughs> and the next day, <laughs> it's just absolutely uh, like to dig futile. a hole in the sand. Yes. Yeah, it's just completely, yeah, I can't, I can't stand What's that. What's the point? <laughs> so that's a big one for me. But then um, I, I would say also like cleaning the bathroom too. Like that's just like a... <sighs> You know, there's no like good household chore, right? <laughs> Other than vacuuming, I really like vacuuming. Okay, like yeah, that makes me feel like like Mr. Mom or something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, but yeah. Anyway, so um, I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. And as always, we want to invite you to send in questions for us to ask each other. You can do that info at thewitnessbcc.com. Send us an email with those questions. Also, you can follow us at underscore Pastor Mike, at thewitnessbcc, at Burns23, and at Jamar Tisby. Join us next time for part four on this series, Can I Get a Witness? Stay tuned for the next episode of Pass the Mike.